You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Hey, Creek family. This week, Heather and I are not with you, and I want to explain a little bit of why. Uh, you've heard Judd, and we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks, that um, Heather and I are on what's called a sabbatical. And to help you understand what a sabbatical is, it's really an intentional rest. Uh, Heather and I have been in ministry for, for a number of years, and, and our, our board and our elders felt it was important for us to step away from ministry and take an intentional rest so that we can reconnect and recharge and just be refocused uh, for the next season of ministry. So uh, this isn't a month-long vacation. This is Heather and I intentionally stepping away to really press into God and hear from God. And the best way I can explain what's going on is, is when our kids were growing up, Heather and I would take vacations, just her and I, and we would tell our kids, we, we need to go away, just Heather and I, so that we can be the parents you need. And, and that's really what a sabbatical is, and an intentional rest is, is an intentional time away so that we can continue being the pastors that, that you need. And uh, we're, we're looking forward to some rest. And something you can do for us is pray for us, because uh, we've never done this before, and, and uh, we want to be able to step back, and we really want to hear from God and, and press into His heart on the vision for the next, next several years of ministry here at the Creek. And we're looking forward to a, to a great run. And, and so you can help by that. Another thing you can do is just, just be engaged in the next several weeks. Uh, you're going to have a dynamic uh, group of speakers that are going to be teaching the word to you. And they're going to be continuing in this series, Finding Joy in Everything. Uh, this week, Judd's going to be speaking to you out of Philippians chapter 2. And a great way you can help is just stay locked in and uh, let, let God teach you. Let the word of God transform your life. So I'm going to invite Judd up now. I love you guys. I look forward to seeing you on a couple weeks. Hey guys, how's everybody doing? Hey, y'all heard him say stay locked in. That means nobody can get up and leave, right? Y'all with me? All right. Hey, I do want us as a church to be praying for Matt and Heather over these next few weeks. Man, just that God would do an outpouring in their lives, just refresh them. I also want to say thank you on behalf of Far Corners and the church for just all the support last week with the widows in India. We, we ended up having over 70 widows sponsored. So thank you guys so much. That is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. You know, as we continue this study in Philippians called Finding Joy in Everything, just out of curiosity, I, I went on Google and I typed in how to find joy in life. And here's what came up. It was one of the first things that came up. It said, 11 simple ways. Not 10, but 11. I, don't, I guess it takes one extra to find joy. So I'm going to share those with you just to get kind of a perspective going here. Number one was stop waiting to be happy. In other words, what they're saying is, you know, just go for it. It's all around you. You just have to do it, okay? You just have to find joy. Number two, add happiness to your life right now, okay? Just find a few serotonin-producing activities, and you'll be on your way. That's what the byline said. Number three, make self-care part of your routine. And I agree with this one. Have time for rest, relaxation, indulgence, but make sure you tune out the miscellaneous to-do list that's waiting on you. That's pretty good, right? Number four, get in a joyful state of mind. Pure joy might seem like a fleeting moment, but even so, you can hold on to that moment and relish it. 
So in other words, just, hey, when they come, just hold on to them for a long time. Shouldn't make you joyful. Number five, stop worrying. Focus on what you think and say every day. Make it positive. Just determine how happy you are and be that way. Listen to your inner voice. Happiness is within you. So though I don't totally agree with this, I do agree with the talk about worrying, okay? If you look in Matthew 6, 34, it says, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, right? So let's just stick to today and allow God to do today. Number six was this, appreciate the small things. In other words, man, just be grateful. Make it a habit to embrace and celebrate the small things. And I don't argue with that one either, right? Number seven, surround yourself with positive people. Pick great life influencers, okay? Number eight, laugh more. We need to giggle more like we did when we were kids. Now, think about this for a second, okay? When this one came along, I had this memory back when my wife and I were young with our, and we had our two oldest kids were really young. We were with another couple, and we watched our kids just skipping everywhere they went, through the house, and I mean, just everywhere, right, giggling, and somebody said to, to the rest of us, wouldn't it be funny if all of us as adults just skipped everywhere we went, right? Like if you guys skipped in and sat down or you skipped to the restaurant or you skipped to your car and it just, it put this thing in perspective with me like, man, kids do in one way have that right. Like they're just carefree, joyous. Man, how would we be if we were like kids? Number nine, love more. They used this velveteen rabbit story about discovering what real life means, and the conclusion was this. It's to have someone love you and to be able to accept that love and return it. I agree with that. We need love in our lives. Number 10, find bliss in a bucket list. Here's, the, here's the, what they're saying with that. Allow yourself to see the world from a different lens. It's being alive even if it's just for that moment. In other words, kind of adrenaline or hype, Man, if you can find that, then you're going to find joy. And then here's number 11. Plan your happiness. This is what it says. Just like you plan for a better quality of life, you plan for your retirement by building an IRA, or you plan for health by taking vitamins and working out, you just need to plan for happiness and be proactive. Now, when I look at this list, every single part of that list is focused on you being the one to make it happen. It's like being self-reliant. I have to, I have to, I have to. And the reality is this, if it was that simple, if we could just make ourselves be joyful, make ourselves be happy, then why do we have so many miserable people in this world, right? Why am I miserable at times if I can just do it, right? So, Man, when you think about like one of the first things that pops up on Google of this is what they're telling you to do to find joy and happiness, man, there's gotta be something deeper than that of me relying on myself. And I really believe in this set of scripture, this in, in chapter two of Philippians, I believe that God through Paul is telling us how we find part of this joy. And so I want you to dive in with me, but before we do, can we pray? And Lord, my prayer for this uh, message has been really that you would open each and every person's, including my eyes that can see you better, my ears that can hear you clearer. And that's the same prayer I have for everyone. 
Lord, I, I believe by your spirit, through your word, you can speak to us. You can bring revelation. You can, you can awaken us to how you see us and how you want us to see our life in you. And so I just ask you by your word that you would just do that during this time that you would take these scriptures and you would allow each person that hears them to be able to evaluate where they're at, to be able to see what your plan is and to get a hold of that and that we would leave here changed. So Lord, this time is yours. We submit to you and we would ask that you would have your way in us in Jesus' name, amen. So as a reminder, when we're talking in Paul, Paul's the author of Philippians and he's writing this book from prison and he's really doing two things. One is he's thanking the church of Philippi for a gift that they had sent him on his journey, a financial support. And he's also wanting to speak courage into them and encourage them and help them along in this journey with the Lord. That's what his purpose is for this book. So as we dive in, we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. That's where we're going to begin. And it says this, Therefore, my beloved, meaning my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, and this word obey means basically hearing and submitting, you've heard and you've done, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I wanna kind of take this passage, 12 through 18, and break it down step by step. And when I hear Paul talking about, hey, not only in my presence, but in my absence, it reminds me of, of this parenting class that my wife and I took a long time ago called Growing Kids God's Way. And in it, they use this example, okay? It was a church setting. There's little Johnny. He's probably like seven or eight years old. He's running through the church just like a wild man, right? And the parents are over there going, Johnny, quit running, quit running. And finally, they would say it stern enough where Johnny would quit running, right? Then they would walk away or they'd start talking to somebody else. And guess what Johnny did? Started running again, right? Just crazy. So they'd get on to him again. So finally, after a while, what they decided to do is they actually sat down with Johnny and they said, Johnny, we're going to tell you why you shouldn't run at church. The reason is, is because there's so many people, like you could run into an older person and knock them down and injure them. You could, you could run into somebody who's carrying a cup of coffee and it could spill on them, or you could just fall down and get hurt yourself. And so it's kind of like this light bulb went off in Johnny's head and he kind of goes, man, now there's a reason. So now I can reason in myself when I should and I shouldn't run due to a crowd. And so guess what? Johnny can make decisions when mom and dad aren't around. This is kind of what Paul's saying right here. He goes, hey, man, I've told you, I've told you in my presence when I'm with you, and now I'm saying, hey, you guys continue on even when I'm not around, and I'm gonna tell you why. I want you to see the why behind what I'm telling you. And so as we went on here, this is kind of the what. Here's what Paul is saying to do. He's saying, work out your salvation, okay? Now, we've gotta break this apart a little bit because it can get very interesting when we talk about working for salvation. He's not saying work for, he's saying work it out. Work out of your salvation. And there's two parts to this right here. The first is this. It's an individual process. When we're called to walk, work out our salvation, it's an individual 
perspective for each and every one of us. And it starts the minute that we said, hey, I'm giving my life to Christ. I acknowledge what he did for me. I turn from that and I want to submit to him the rest of my life. It begins there. It continues every day thereafter along the journey as he continues to pour in us and grow us. And it continues all the way to the day of judgment. All right? That is the bandwidth, that's the span of which we work out our salvation. The second part of this is it's also a holistic. It's not just an individual process of working out our salvation. It's this whole part, the context of this verse indicates that Paul is thinking of the whole community of believers in Philippi. And so when he says work out your salvation, this is plural. He's saying work out your salvation, all of you together. And the reason is, is because he calls us to be on this journey together. He calls us to hold each other accountable, to encourage one another as the day is long, to rebuke people, to pull them out of what's going on, put them back on track. We have to have community because guess what? If we try to do it by ourselves, one, we don't have it in us. We don't have all the tools that the body has. And two, we don't have the stamina. We need others to come alongside to encourage and and help us get through it. So this working out is a two-part. The next part, when he says, hey, you're working out your salvation, in other words, it's, hey, I am taking the gospel message, I am living it, and he's continuing to build in me, and he's preparing me for eternity. It's a process. So then he goes on to say, okay, well, that's the what. The next part is how. He says, with fear and trembling, okay? Fear and trembling here is not because we should be scared, It's more about your attitude, okay? So when we think about, hey, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling, it's about the attitude that I have as I do it. It's the awe of the creature who's in the presence of his creator. It's almost like standing before the creator and and it drives him or her to seek and do the will of his creator, his or her. You think about this going, Hey, if you're the one that made me, I submit to you and I serve you because you're greater than I. The second is it's an attitude of obedience towards God, not just because of what he did, but because of who he is. He's the ultimate everything. And we should be in all, we should be submitted, and we should do it out of reverence. And then it's out of respect. It's out of the the mere respect of someone that knows more, sees more, has more power, has everything that we need. I respect that, so I want to submit to it and have an attitude of working out my salvation because that's the one that gave it to me. So we work out our salvation with the right attitude. The very next verse also is how we do it. It's in Philippians 2.13. It says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, we think about the how, with God working in you to will and to work. God doesn't leave us just saying, hey, go work it out. Just go do it. He actually says, no, I'm gonna work through you to work it out, and it's for my good pleasure. And so when we think about this, it is God who is working in you. This word work is energia. We get the word energy from it. It's this energy that drives us. 
Paul's seeking to indicate that the power of God is already at work within the Philippi church. God's already there, right? He's already working in Philippi, and yet he's encouraging, saying, work it out. God's doing it. Keep doing it. So for spiritual harmony, they must all avail or use the power that God has. In other words, this. If we're the body of Christ, and and we're all individually trying to do it on our own strength, and we're not allowing him to do it through us, then there's gonna be a lot of division because we're gonna go all different directions. But when God is at work in the church and he's saying, hey, I am at work through you so that I can be glorified, then we're all going in the same direction through his power. And therefore, there's gonna be unity. So God is working in you. And he's doing it to will and to work. So I want to take this little second part of this verse that says to will and to work. Okay, God is promoting both the will or the desire that we have. He gives us a will and a desire. And he's saying, hey, I want you to have the right attitude to do his will. And the work ethic or the drive, which is our motivation, necessary to accomplish it. So just being honest, how many of you guys have ever felt like not going to church? All the rest of your line. I have felt like not going to church, right? And so sometimes that desire's not there. And that's just to go to church. Sometimes we don't feel like reading scripture. Sometimes we don't have the motivation to pray. And so where does that energy that he's talking about come from? It comes from him. We don't have it in and of ourselves. If it's left up to us, we don't feel like doing anything unless it is for us, right? So when you think about that, he doesn't leave us to work out our own salvation. No, he's the energy. He gives us the attitude. He gives us the motivation and within us to live out our salvation, And the reason I think that's important is because a lot of times when we talk about workout salvation and it's works-based, what happens when we do it in our own strength is we just get burned out. We can't do enough. We're comparing to everybody else and it's not enough. They're better than me, but I'm better than them. And you just keep going and after a while, you're just tired. And it's because we're doing it in our own strength. And he says, do it in my energy. Do it in my motivation. And so as we go on in verse 14, it says, do all things without grumbling and disputing. This is a warning, okay? So he said, work out your salvation, have the right attitude, and now there's a warning, and he's saying, hey, don't grumble and don't dispute. So what is grumbling? Well, this is the same sort of mumbling and grumbling that the Israelites did to Moses after they had come out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and they're saying this, Exodus 15, 24 says, the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? I mean, he's already delivered them, right? They've seen all the miracles. They were delivered. They had, man, food from heaven coming down. They had everything they needed and yet what did they do? They grumbled. They started whining. They had seen all this power. In addition to the grumbling, when we start grumbling, the next thing to follow is arguing. So he says, hey, don't dispute or don't argue. Arguing is useless. Arguing never moves people 
in a positive direction. Did you know that? It never does. It's, it's a battle of wills and a battle of desires, but it never motivates somebody in a positive way. Both grumbling and arguing create division within the community. Therefore, he's warning against it. He says, hey, the minute you start grumbling, you're gonna start arguing, and guess what? You're not band together like I said earlier you should be to work out your salvation. So he's given this warning. So let, let me ask you this question. Do you think it's unreasonable for Paul to say, do all things without grumbling? Like he said, all. Y'all know what all means, right? Like all. And so when we think about all, man, is that reasonable? Give me a nod, yes or no. Do you agree or not agree? Some of you are like, I don't know. So here, here's the thing. Like if I, I, I get if Paul said, hey, do most of those things without grumbling, but there's a few you get kind of a, a free pass to. He's saying do everything. And so this kind of sets us up to, to start looking and going, you know, does he expect us not to grumble when we face injustices to us, when we were done wrong? Does he expect us not to grumble when we have to face consequences of someone else's incompetence or mistakes, which happen? Does he expect us, even if we understand the biblical view of suffering, which he says, hey, you're gonna suffer for my namesake, how does he expect us not to grumble when we encounter suffering, when it really happens? It's one thing to talk about it happening, and then it happens, and, and I just don't understand how he says, don't grumble in all of it. So let me tell you what grumbling is. Grumbling is a voice of discontentment. We think our life deserves to be better. We're discontent. Grumbling is a voice crying out for fairness. How is it possible that I suffer when people who act worse than me are better off? It's the comparison. We grumble, so ultimately grumbling is not toward people and circumstances alone, but it's towards God himself if we truly believe he is in control of everything. So if you, that kind of kicks us, doesn't it? When you think about this, when I compare and I've been done wrong and, and I feel like somebody else deserves you know, worse and I'm getting the worst end of it and we're grumbling, if we truly believe God is in control of everything, we're really grumbling against him. And then it becomes personal with God. So how do we get to the point of grumbling? How, does it, how do we look up one day and we're a grumbler, right? Because does everybody have a grumbler in their family? Like, can you name them? Not out loud, because they might be next to you. But, you know, you know that person. They're negative, they grumble, they moan, they groan. How does one get to that point? Well, I'm going to tell you a few ways. Grumbling is a result of listening to a voice other than the voice of God. Grumbling is a result of our eyes shifting off of what God has done for us and what God hasn't done for us. Grumbling is a result of our attitude shifting from honoring and worshiping God to our attitude being towards, I'm sorry, being inward and becoming obsessed with me. Instead of looking this way, I look this way. Those all three lead to grumbling. When this occurs, our attitude of gratitude 
becomes an attitude of selfitude. I didn't even know that was a word until I looked it up. Sounds good though, doesn't it? Selfitude. In the middle, there's an I, you know? So selfitude, which is putting oneself first before everything else, including God and others. That's selfitude. So we have an attitude of gratitude versus an attitude of selfitude. So honestly, this is a heart issue. It's not an external issue. It's not what's been done to us or hasn't been done to us or injustice or we were wronged. It's all a heart issue. So let's talk about that. Are you, and me too, are we self-aware enough to know if we have an attitude of gratitude or an attitude of selfitude? So that, that grumbler in your family that, that you thought of, do you think they know they're a grumbler? Somebody once said, you know, hey, if, if you're asked to name somebody like the grumbler and you don't know who it is, it's you. Right? So it's like, do, you, do we know? Because honestly, I would want to know if it's me. But maybe I've become so self-indulged or so inward-focused that I can't even think of anybody else. So do you have an attitude of gratitude or an attitude of selfitude? If you, if you happen to, in your mind, be debating, like right now, going, well, I don't know. I could, I could be in either camp. Which camp am I in? Am I, do I have an attitude of gratitude? Sometimes I have an attitude of selfitude, and you're, you're having this debate going on. And I'm going to ask you this question. It might help you lean one way or another. But do you find yourself grumbling and arguing often? Maybe not outward, outwardly, but inwardly. Maybe there's all kinds of noise in your head that you're just sassa, frassa, rassa. You know, you're just, you're just mad. Some of the older people know where that came from, but anyway. Uh, it could be either outwardly or inwardly. No matter where it is, it's a reflection of your heart. And it's kind of a gut check. So if you find yourself arguing a bunch, grumbling a bunch, I mean, just there's this chaos running around you, man, it's time to examine the heart. It's this moment of a self of awareness, like just look and say, God, reveal to me where I'm at. Where am I at with you? So let, let me share this personal example. I did not ask permission from my wife, but all right. Um, it's not bad. So after 22 years, my wife has gone back into the workforce full time. Okay. So proud of her. I mean, went, got insurance license. I mean, she's in it. Right. And, and if you know us, we have six kids. And so for the last 22 years, she's been like taking care of our family big time. Now she's working from like 8.45 in the morning till 5.30 in the evening, I mean, all day. And all those responsibilities that she's done for 22 years, like washing, uh, making sure the kids have something to wear, they got a lunch packed. I mean, we know their schedule, like when is teacher appreciation? I mean, all those things, like she's been in it. And now that she's working, I get to step up that responsibility, Right? So I'm going to ask for prayer right now. So here's the reality. I've, I've had to do this gut check a little bit, this evaluation, because, you know, she went to work and I'm like, 
man, I got this. I have, I get an office at home. And I, so I'm therefore right in the mix of it a little bit more. And so I'm like, man, I can do this. I can do this. And let me just tell you this. Motivation or just because you think you can do it isn't going to carry you forever, right? It, it goes back to that heart. And so what happens is in my head, okay, I start, you know, thinking of things like, man, how did, how did she do laundry for eight people and it just appeared folded, you know? Or, man, how did those meals seem to be ready in the evenings? Well, now I get to do some of them, right? Kids' lunches, field trips, groceries just seem to appear in the fridge and the pantry, and now I get to go get some. And I'm not saying I was a, you know, a deadbeat husband or dad. I did some of these things, but it's just different now, right? Kids just seem to make it to all those events and know when the birthday parties and stuff were. And honestly, man, you did that well. And you didn't grumble. And I know in your mind you think, yes, I did. And sometimes it was really bad, but you did great. But here's, here's the reality. I'm now having in my head to make sure what's my attitude? What are those thought processes going on in my head? And I, I thought, you know, I got this. Well, here's the thoughts that sneak in to cause the grumbling. Does she appreciate everything I'm doing? Right? Why doesn't my family say thank you more? Does anyone know that I have work too as well as everybody else? Those are those thoughts that get planted like seeds that if you don't check them quick, they grow fast, right? Like you start just getting this me, me, myself, and I attitude and really, it goes back to why am I doing it? I'm doing it out of, out of gratitude and service. And it's no different. We could pick anything that we do, and we have to run it through that filter. You know what I mean? So that's where the grumbling begins. And if, if we don't change the heart, it becomes external. It turns into arguing, and it multiplies. It does not ever stay stagnant. I'm just warning you guys, if you don't deal with it early, it ends up getting worse. And, and here is Paul talking about grumbling. He's talking about, he's not even talking about what you're doing. He's just talking about your attitude. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It goes back to the attitude. So going on in verse 15, here's why he tells us all these things. Work out your salvation do it with fear and trembling. Have the right attitude. Let me help you and be the energy. It's because this. He says, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Here's the why he wants us to be healthy. Here's the why he wants us to work out our salvation. It's because we're the light. He flows through us. We're the ones that let Christ be known. And man, if we're going around grumbling and moaning and groaning, who wants a part of that? So blameless, innocent, without blemish. And it's really this. It's all those things in relation to the outside world. We are to be kind of people against whom no accusation can be made. That's what blameless means and innocent. Nobody can throw stones at us because, man, look what they're doing for selfish gain. No, we just, we just serve with the right attitude. In relationship to each other as believers, 
We are to be as pure as metal that is unmixed with any alloy. In other words, untainted. We're, we're to be pure and open and honest with one another so that there's no wedges or division that can come in between us and divide the body of Christ. And then really in relationship to God, we're to be as faultless as an unblemished sacrificial animal. In other words, we are to be living sacrifices for him. That's why he wants us pure. That's what we have to offer him is what he's given us and how he flows through us. We're offering it right back to him. And then in verse 16, he says this, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So the word of life is really the gospel message of Jesus Christ. That is the word of life. That is what gives us life, not just now, not tomorrow, but for eternity. It's the word of life. It is Christ himself. And we are, we are hold fast until when? Until the day of Christ. The day of Christ is the day of judgment. When all people will stand before Christ, unbelievers and believers, okay? So we're to continue working out our salvation till that time, and here's what's gonna happen. Unbelievers will be judged for their sins, okay? Believers, those of us who are in the faith, submitted to Christ, we're gonna give an account of the gifts that we have been entrusted with. Not our sins, those are wiped clean by Jesus Christ's blood, but we are gonna give an account of what God gave us, how did we use it? And let me, let me elaborate. In 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not therefore acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the what? Of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendations from God. Paul encourages us by this passage to say, hey, it's about the heart. It's about the attitude. He's gonna come back and you're gonna stand before him and he's gonna go, hey, I gave you all these gifts and I gave you life. What'd you do with it? And he's gonna wanna say, hey, right now, you've been, for, for your life, you've been able to hide the heart from others because they can't see the heart, but I've seen it the whole time. I know your attitude. I know why you did what you did. That's where we're gonna stand that's why he talks about work out your salvation in this manner. Paul encourages the Philippians to continue to obey the demands of the gospel so they are just running and so they're not just running and laboring in vain. Can you imagine a a runner it's a sports metaphor a runner is running with all he has athletes straining to reach the finish line. That's how he says run, right? Run as hard as you can right to the tape. The other is the work metaphor, the labor. It describes laboring to the point of exhaustion. So what does in vain mean? It's without success or result. The most common biblical definition is emptiness. It's doing it and there's nothing to gain. It's empty. It's empty work. It's empty running. 
So how would you like to run a race as hard and as fast as you could and cross the finish line first, only to find out later that it didn't count because someone forgot to start the stopwatch? So they didn't get the time right. You're like, man, I did all that for nothing. Or you work to exhaustion and then find out you aren't gonna get paid because the employer went bankrupt. Like you worked your hands to the nubs and, it, and you're not gonna get compensated. That's the metaphor of doing it in vain. You did it for nothing, it was empty. Matthew 7.22 says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you work, workers of lawlessness. There's gonna be people who do a lot of things that they consider for the Lord and because their heart's not right, they didn't do it for him, it's empty. I don't wanna be one of those people. So Paul concludes this in 17. Even if I am to be poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Even if I'm poured out like a drink offering. He's saying basically, man, I could die, but I still have joy. I'm in prison, this may be it, but I still have joy. And then he goes on and he says in the last, very last verse, he says, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So how do we rejoice and be glad and do the same as Paul did? So I'm gonna challenge you with this. Be blameless and innocent and without blemish. You can be through Christ. Do, do you have an attitude of gratitude? You can through Christ. Are you serving others without grumbling? You can if your attitude is for Christ. Don't run in vain, don't work in vain. Allow him to flow through you and be that energy. Today, Jesus wants your heart. He wants the deep down you. If he doesn't have that, everything you're doing doesn't add up to anything. And I would like to invite you, man, to, to turn to Christ, no matter where you're at. Do that gut check and allow Christ to use you to serve your family, serve them well, to serve people in the church well without grumbling, and to serve really those outside the church so that you can be salt and light and you can be a witness. Would you pray with me? Lord, you gave it all. You loved us so much that you gave your life for us. And then through your servant Paul and the Holy Spirit, you told us to work at our salvation with fear and trembling, but allow you to do it, God, and only your spirit can guide us and you can mend our hearts, you can purify our hearts so that the motives we do these things with is pure. So God, for those like me that, man, we grumble sometimes, and sometimes we argue. Would you get to the heart issue of why? Would you just show us why and allow us to repent and allow you to fill that void? And ultimately, God, for those that don't know you, man, today they can come to know you and you can fill their hearts, Lord, in a sense where they can walk with you, not just today, but tomorrow and really for eternity. Because without you, Lord, we're running and we're working in vain. 
So Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. And we want to give you all honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast. Or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.